Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com. We've made it to Conference Championship Weekend. Very exciting. I mean, last week's games are going to be hard to top this week. But we always have fantasy to supplement if we uh, don't have the most interesting games. I'm optimistic. Anyway, I'm joined by Dr. Roto from DrRoto.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Radio today. Doc, what's going on? Good to have you on. It's great to be on, Scott. I know we've been trying to do this for the past few weeks, but you've met my friends Chris and Odell, so I'm glad I could be here now. We've had a great run of, of guests from, from DrRoto.com in recent weeks, and, and Doc will tell you all about the site and what you can get from there later in the show. But before we get there, we need to hit on the two games this weekend. And first, let me mention that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week right now for annual subscriptions. So you can get our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting info there. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show. Uh, again, just two games. So we're going to go really in-depth with these, hit a couple of DFS plays for each. Let's start with the earlier game, the Bengals at Chiefs game. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern in Kansas City, where, you know, this week we actually have a game in the Dome to work with this. So there's a little bit more of like a weather component to picking your DFS lineups. But I'll say that the winter weather isn't as wintry as it can be in Kansas City at 48 degrees and clear. We'll, we'll just hit on that a little bit more uh, probably with the Dome game with the Rams. But let's start with the major storyline number one is – Doc, do you think the Chiefs have an answer for Jamar Chase? Uh, in week 17 when they played, which was in January, less than a month ago, Burrow threw for 446 total yards and four touchdowns, and Chase had 266 of them and three touchdowns on 11 catches, actually had the best receiving game of the season based on Football Outsiders' DYAR numbers. So, man, he was excellent that game. Is, is there a chance that he could do that again? Sure, there's a chance. I mean, he's Jamar Chase Roto. I adopted him as a Roto child this uh, summer in, in August. I like that. Yeah, that was yeah. a good move. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, people <laughs> didn't believe me. And I was like, this guy really is that good. But I watched that game, Scott, on Game Rewind. And let me tell you something about the Chiefs tackling. It was really poor. It was bad. It was really bad. So I've got to think that if they tackled just decently, Maybe he gets half that yardage. Mm -hmm. So look, Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, I mean, these guys have are, are twitchy. They're so fast. And if you give them a crease, they're going to find it. But, I mean, the Chiefs really have to tackle better. So I think he has a good game. I mean, especially if they play cover one because Joe Burrow to Chase and cover one is, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a feast right there. But I can't imagine that he's going to have the same week as he did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I, mean, I think defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo is a big blitzer, and I thought he used pretty good restraint in the first game not blitzing against Burrow, who just absolutely kills people against blitzes. It's like 10 and a half yards per attempt against blitzes this season, so that's not the way to go. And I'm thinking that, that Spags will probably do a little bit better this time around, even than he did that week. Chase just like absolutely crushed uh, Charvarius Ward in a couple of spots in one-on-one -on -one coverage. He converted a third and 27, I think, against him when, when Spags brought the blitz. So I think if he can avoid that, it may be a little bit easier for the for the Chiefs to, to defend Chase. I mean, maybe not as hard would be the better way to put it. You mentioned the bad tackling and stuff. There was a bit of flukiness, I thought. There was a 69 and a 72-yard touchdown catch and run that he had. The first one was kind of in a zone surrounded by four defenders, and he just ran away and was never touched. So that, right. I mean, that was a pretty crazy one. The other one it's was like terrible, you know, when you play that on your, oh, on your yeah. video game. Yeah. Absolutely. The other one, it was it was more like they kind of lost him in coverage a little bit deeper. So I would say there's flukiness in that. But I'll mention, too, that Chase 3.0 yak plus this season was second behind Debo Samuel. That's football outsiders depth adjusted yards after the catch metric. So we're basically saying that, like, well, Samuel obviously is amazing yards after the catch, but he does get a lot of shallower targets. And with Chase, who's attacking down the field, 
for among the deep targets, he's about as good as anybody is at avoiding those tackles down the field. So I don't know, like it may be tough for the chiefs to really do a ton about it, but also the Bengals are pretty agnostic too with, with you know, which of their receivers are going to have a really good day. So I could kind of see it both ways. I'm not sure I've kind of landed anywhere in particular, but I wouldn't expect another 266 yards this week, I think is the way to go. Yeah, probably not. But I think, I think you're right about the, you know, but the chiefs back end is weak. I mean, that is where they are susceptible and the Bengals have so many talented guys. I mean, yeah. last game really wasn't a T Higgins game. Why yeah. couldn't it be this week, especially if they're playing more zone? I mean, we saw a little Tyler Boyd in the last game where he scored that touchdown, but I mean, certainly he can have a bigger game. So, you know, the Bengals are so deep that they're not relying just on Chase, right? And I think that's that's the beauty of this offense and that bringing Chase onto the team. And a lot of people criticize the draft pick. They wanted Sewell, but I think that Chase has actually been a, a, an amazing pick for them. You know, a, a, a franchise changing pick over the next decade because now Higgins would be a number one in most teams. Now he's a two, pretty amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, they're absolutely loaded a receiver. And I think Bro does a great job of taking what the defense gives him you know, going through his progressions, making the smart decision, being aggressive when he can be, but not trying to do too much a lot of the time either. But you bringing up the Pene Sewell angle, I think kind of dovetails nicely into the next question, which is whether the Chiefs are going to be able to bring pressure to Burrow like the Titans did last week, because the Titans sacked Burrow nine times, that tied a postseason record. And you got to figure that if that happened this week or anything close to that happened this week, the Chiefs would pull this out pretty easily, because you know, I'm assuming Mahomes isn't going to throw three interceptions the way Ryan Tannehill did. But can the Chiefs do what the Titans did defensively? Yes. I mean, I, I think the answer is clearly yes. I mean, you have Frank Clark, you have Jerron Reed, you've got guys who got, you know, Chris Jones, he can, they can get to the quarterback, right? And I think that was the big Achilles, Achilles heel. They got lucky last week. When you let up nine sacks and you still win that game, I think if I show, if I told you that stat before the game started, Scott, you'd say to me, the Tennessee Titans are going to win this game by about 20. Oh, but yeah. You, I, I was watching it the whole time being like, I can't believe the Titans aren't winning this game by 20. And I said to my son, I little Roto, I go, dude, I should have bet Jeffrey Simmons over two sacks. And I was going to, I would have bet the, uh, the prop bet on the Titans over five sacks. I really yeah. would. If that happens this week, there's no way they win this game. And I think when, if Cincinnati loses, I think it's easy what they need to do. Work on that offensive line, work on that defense. You've got the skill players set. That's great. Most teams don't have that. Now you got to work on the big man. You got to sign some guys up front. And, and I think it is a true weakness here. And the Chiefs play better at home. Let's not forget that. And the Titans play better at home. So I would expect at least four to six sacks this weekend. I completely agree with you. And I honestly have a lot of random thoughts about this. I want to start with a comparison between the Titans and Raiders over the last two weeks. Because it's surprising to me the Titans had nine sacks against Burrow. Two weeks ago, the Raiders had just two. But in the regular season, the Titans had a lower pass rush win rate at 39%, then the Raiders did at 44%, and the Chiefs, by the way, are at 44% as well. So you're like, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, why didn't it kind of work out the way that it did over the course of the regular season? And for me, there, I think there are two major reasons. One is that the Raiders have just kind of one supremely talented pass rusher in Max Crosby, who actually led the league in pass pressures, according to Sports Info Solutions this season, whereas the Titans have a lot of kind of B-plus, A-minus guys. They kind of work across the line. I think you brought up Harold Landry, Danico Autry, Bud Dupree. They're all very talented players. And I think with them, it allowed the Titans to bring pressure from multiple places and unexpected places because they would do things like use stunts or drop defenders into coverages. And that way, you know, without blitzing, they could still bring pressure from unexpected places and get some free runs at the quarterback. To me, that might be a really good way to, to kind of get pressure without blitzing because, again, you can't really blitz him. 
uh, and have any success. My other angle. I had, I had Teron Davenport. I had Teron Davenport on my show last weekend. He covers the uh, Titans for ESPN. Yeah. And I said to Teron because I've known him for years. I said, "Give me a guy in this game who's going to be an impact player." And he said, "Danico Autry." Yeah, yeah. Right. Because those are the guys who can. They didn't need seven guys to get to Burrow. Right. I don't think the Chiefs will either. And I think that's the supreme advantage here because the Cincinnati offensive line is so weak that if you're rushing four guys and you're putting that much pressure on Burrow, you, you have more guys back there to, to get the job done in the secondary. So, look, I, I think that the Titans lost that game clearly. And if you rewatch it, you'll you have to agree with what I'm saying here. At the end of the game, there's no sense of urgency. I mean, yeah. it was a minute and 43 seconds and they were like sauntering down the field. How about better play calling? Titans should have won that game. I, I think the Cincinnati Bengals are more aggressive. I think Zach Taylor calls a more aggressive game than Vrabel, for sure. And, and they're going to have to do that because Burrow is going to see pressure all game long. Yeah. So useful was first in the YouTube chat. And again, we're live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can stream us on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. But useful was first mentions that interior pass rush is better for the Titans than the Raiders. And that's big for the Chiefs now, too, which I definitely agree. Like, once they were able to trade for Melvin Ingram, add him to the edge, they got Frank Clark back kind of around a similar time from his preseason hamstring injury. Kicking Chris Jones back to the interior has just really helped their team. And it seems like it would probably be a good way to target Joe Burrow too because interior pass pressure gets there faster than edge pressure, right? So like the whole idea is to get to Burrow before he can make his quick decisions. And I think that can kind of be a big path with this. But let me circle back to that other thought I had about the Titans versus the Raiders because the Raiders – they use a very consistent cover three. It's actually 46% of their dropbacks in the regular season, 40% against Burrow two weeks ago. I think you just know that about Gus Bradley, right? He's got his Seattle ties. He likes to play that specific type of zone defense. And I have to imagine that that makes it easy for Burrow to understand what's happening pre-snap and then make a quick decision. The Titans are not like that at all. They didn't use any of cover two, cover three, or cover four, the three most common zone coverages, more than a quarter of their defensive snaps in the regular season. And that's something the Chiefs do really well, too. And I think it's something they can particularly do well, assuming that Tyron Matthew is able to play this week. He suffered a concussion last week, but he was able to practice on Thursday. I'm optimistic he'll clear the protocol. He's really good in coverage. He's really good blitzing. He's really good tackling. It just adds a lot of diversity to what they can do defensively and hopefully keep Burrow confused from the Chiefs' perspective. Do you kind of see that angle with me there, Doc? I, I do see it. I, I, but I think that we're underestimating Burrow a little bit. I, I don't think this moment is too big for him. I, well, I think I this is a guy that. that won the national championship, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, playing in the divisional round against Tennessee, he can do that, right? I, I think this moment is not even too big for him. So, you know, if this was Daniel Jones here, I'd be panic-stricken, right? Sure. But Joe Burrow, you're sitting there going, this guy's like an old soul, mm -hmm. right? He's uh, 22 or 23, and he plays like he's 30. Yeah. And I think that, look, they may confuse him a little bit. I get that. But in the second half, I think he's going to start to figure it out. The question is, are they going to be down 24 to 10 at halftime? Because if they are, I don't know whether they're going to be able to come back like they did in week 17. But I'm with you, Matthew. I expect to play, and he is a difference maker. Uh, I mean, completely. He's a great tackler. He's always in the right spot, and he's, a, he's an impact player, which the Chiefs lack on defense, especially in the back end. I mean, you're doing my job for me with these segues, because my third storyline is about the Chiefs' offense and whether Patrick Mahomes – you know, he threw for just 259 yards in the regular season matchup in week 17. And like, that seems like a fluke, but like, what do you think? Was there anything that, that the Bengals were doing defensively that maybe made a problem for Mahomes here? You know what the Bengals did really well in the first half? Actually, for the most of the game, they tackled well, right? They didn't allow the big plays to happen. And I want everybody to remember this name, 
Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson, to my mind, is one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. And he kind of held Travis Kelsey back a little bit, which is not easy to do because Kelsey's one of those guys who goes eight for 100, right? When he's right, he's very right. I don't see that this week. So I think that if the Bengals can contain Tyree Kill, which is a very hard thing to do, put Wilson on Kelsey, now we've got the Chiefs are going to have to go to their depth whether that's Demarcus Robinson, whether that's Mecole Hardman, whether that's Edward D. Lair, whether that's McKinnon, who has been amazing over the last few games. So yeah. I think you're going to Pringle. I don't want to forget Byron Pringle. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not going to be the main guys on the Chiefs. I think it's going to be the secondary guys on the Chiefs who are going to win them this game. Yeah, it's interesting because Hill and, and Kelsey, I think they only combined for like 60 or 70 yards in, in the first game too. So even, even accounting for the fact that Mahomes didn't hit 300, that's a really low total. And I was kind of curious about it because I think the week before, both of them had landed on the COVID list. Kelsey couldn't play, but I was kind of wondering whether their conditioning was at their normal spot or, or kind of what the, the move was there. But it was interesting. I will say that Mahomes, even though he couldn't kind of find his main guys, and even though that the total production wasn't what you normally expect, he was very efficient. You know, 74% completion rate, 7.4 yards per attempt, a 30% passing DVOA rate. To me, it was really more a case of the Bengals kind of doing their defensive work on offense. In particular, in the second half, they converted a lot of new first downs on penalties. They had that third and 27 crazy conversion I mentioned. They went for a fourth down in their own territory, converted that. And then they had the crazy sequence near the end of the game where I think they ran seven straight plays from, from the goal line from one yard away from the end zone without scoring. It was genius. It was a genius, Scott. It was genius because at the end of the game, you suffocated that ball. Exactly. And so the Chiefs, I think in total, had three drives in the second half. So it to me, like keeping the ball out of Mahomes' hands is obviously the best way to play defense against them. And I, I don't really know if the, the Bengals had the ability to do that, even though they were able to do it in the first game. So much of that just seemed really fluky to me. And I don't know if that's it's fair to assume that would necessarily continue. Oh, no, I think you're right. I think it's fluky for sure. And I think, you know, what Mahomes does, and he doesn't do it during the regular season as much as he does it in the playoffs. He starts running. Look yeah, what he yeah. did last week against the Bills. He was running in that first half. Now, of course, McDermott made some change adjustments at halftime, and they prevented that in the second half. But, I mean, Cincinnati, you watch this week. I don't know what the prop bet is off the top of my head about Mahomes' rushing yards. Yeah. I'm going to take the over because when they're spreading that field, Mahomes are going to go right in there. And I think he's. we're probably looking at like 30 to 45 yards rushing for him. And I think that's the right play here. For, for Mahomes to take what the Bengals are giving him. But if you watch the end of that game last, and if you go to Game Rewind, yeah. there were so many penalties in this game on both ends, and the Bengals are a very penalized team. If you get penalized like that against Mahomes in the championship game, you're going home. Yeah. So, I mean, you you mentioned the tackling angle and how the Bengals were a good tackling team in the first one. What was interesting is, is they allowed a lot of yards after contact to like the power running game that the Chiefs were using that week, which Darrell Williams was their main guy that week because of other injuries. This was before Jarek McKinnon had kind of re revitalized himself in the playoffs. And it was something like 2.5 yards after contact per attempt that week. They were in the regular season, the worst yards after contact team. And on paper, you're like, eh, that doesn't seem really good. You know, the Bengals were doing the typical let's play the two high safety kind of looks against Mahomes, make him kind of check down and stuff. But they were getting gashed on the ground. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, is it kind of a genius move to just let the team run fairly successfully against them? And that way you're getting the, the six yard plays over and over again, but maybe not the consistent shot plays. And when that happens, that's when the like offensive holding penalty can sabotage a drive or something like that. So, like, I'm wondering if the Bengals 
playing a little bit more toward the pass defense might actually help them in this game, allowing more successful runs. Look, if you look back at that game, Derek Gore ran really well too. I mean, oh, yeah. 1L Williams and Derek Gore were great. And I, and I agree with that. When you look, when I said they have good tackling, it was Tyree Kill. Mm -hmm. It was Akron Kelsey. Remember that play on the, on the goal line where they stopped them like on the one oh, foot yeah. line? They didn't get to get in. So look, Jesse Bates, good tackler. Awuzie, decent enough tackler. He's not great in coverage, but he can tackle you. So I'm with you. I think that it's the Chiefs running game that's going to be the separator, the difference maker in this game, right? Uh, whether it's McKinnon, whether it's Edwards Elaire, whether it's 1L Williams, I think those are the guys that they get six to eight yards at a clip, which I think could definitely happen this week. Now Mahomes is throwing those shorter passes. He doesn't have to go deep except when he wants to. Big change. So let's go to the DFS plays that we think make some good sense for this game. I want to start with the Chiefs because you were just talking about that. And I, I penciled Jarek McKinnon in here at 5,100 in DraftKings. To me, like it's underpriced because of how much he's been playing the last two weeks. It was 78% two weeks ago, 70% last week. And so two weeks ago, Clyde Edwards-Alaire hadn't yet returned from his shoulder injury, but he was back and healthy last week. I think Daryl Williams was a healthy scratch. I know he's been dealing with a toe injury, but to me, it seemed like they were just going with McKinnon. And he's been both effective as a runner and effective, especially as a receiver with six and five catches for 81 yards and 54 yards the last two weeks really seems to have re revitalized the screen game that Andy Reid used to use a lot more back, you know, when he had Kareem Hunt on the team players that kind of fit the, the, the kind of that game a little bit better. And so I'm feeling like maybe he could be a really good value this week, but you know, since they had so much success with the power game last time, I'm wondering if McKinnon is the right fit for the Bengals defense. So like, what's your thought here with, with the chiefs from a DFS perspective? I will 100% be fading Jarek McKinnon this week. Okay, interesting. Uh, it's not because he's not good. He's been very yeah. good, right? I'm, but I, I'm going on game theory, right? Yeah. And my game theory is that at least 50% of the people will be paying him, will be playing him. Okay. So I've got to now fade him. Uh, the other reason is that Jarek McKinnon could get injured walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I mean, that's uh, what he it's does. Sad, but, sad but very true. Yeah. So to me, I, I'd rather be I, – I, I could envision a lineup where I'm going like 1L Williams and Edwards E. Lair as my running backs. Okay. And fading McKinnon – and sitting there and saying, look, I'll take my chances because Edward Zulaire probably should be doing better. And 1L Williams is very good by the goal line. So it's not that McKinnon's not good, but game theory tells you when 50 to 60% of people are on X, you got to go on Y. And when it's a two-game slate, you got to differentiate your roster somewhere. And I think that's a place that I'm going to start to do that. So I went a little game theory with my DFS play for the Bengals and went with T. Higgins at 6,400 and FanDuel. I mean, obviously, Chase had just the incredible game in the first game. But I think we talked a little bit about how that, like, it's not like the Chiefs are overwhelmingly great against, like, a number one receiver or not great against number two receivers. In fact, by my projections, the Chiefs for the full season have cut wide receiver one touchdown rate and dramatically increased wide receiver two and slot receiver touchdown rate. And I would say Charvarius Ward, I think, is pretty clearly the team's best coverage defender. And, like, that's the guy that will probably be matched up against Chase the most. And to me, maybe that opens the door a little bit for Higgins. I don't know if you see that at all. Do you think that that's an interesting way to zag in this game? Oh, I love it. I mean, I, T. Higgins will be in every one of my lineups. Okay. I think the way to approach it is I, I think you have to double stack this game. I think you have to choose one of these games and go all in. So could I see a Burrow to, and Chase and Higgins come back with a McKinnon and Pringle stack? Yeah, I think you're going to need to do that. I think you're going to need to just choose one of the two games because if you start to find players in both, I think you're just going to have to gamble on which game is going to blow up. And I think it will be the Chiefs-Bengals game. I love T. Higgins. I think another way to go is to fade Chase. I know that's really dangerous to do, and I'm not telling you to do that. But if I had three lineups, 
I think I probably would fade Chase on one and maybe do like Higgins and Boyd or Higgins and Mixon or Higgins and Uzoma. And just, you know, because look, Chase is going to be, you know, rostered by once again, 60% of your competitors. Yeah. True Macklin on the, on, the, on the chat says that he needs the Bengals to pull through with a W. I've, I got to say, the Bengals have been an unbelievably fun story through the playoffs. So I think at least that, I think there's a chance for offensive fireworks. So pretty exciting from that perspective. All right, Doc, let's move over to the, the later afternoon, maybe the evening game, the 49ers at Rams, 6.30 p.m. Eastern in the Dome in Los Angeles. A lot to hit on here. Let's start with the broader storyline, and I'll ask you whether you think this is even fantasy relevant or not. But Kyle Shanahan's 49ers have beaten Sean McVay's Rams six straight times. Does that mean anything to you from a fantasy perspective? I think it means something to me from every perspective. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, to my mind, now that Sean Payton has retired, mm-hmm. uh, is the best play caller in the NFL. I don't think it's, there's a question. He is the most innovative offensive mind there is, whether you like him as a coach or not. And I think McVay's not. I think McVay thinks he is, but I mean, his offense becomes predictable. There's a lot of mistakes there. So yeah, I think Shanahan has an advantage here. So is it going to play out that the seventh time it works for McVay? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you, I know the 49ers will be prepared this week. So I don't know. I agree with some of what you're saying, but not other parts. To me, so much of this is just the stylistic leanings of Shanahan and McVay happen to really play out in the former's advantage in this game. So like Shanahan, he loves to run. He loves to run outside zone. And to me, that's really good against McVeigh's preferred defensive approach that, again, uses those two high safeties like we mentioned, but also has its greatest strength, obviously, in Aaron Donald up the middle, right? So, like, if you want to run the ball against this team, you don't want to run it up the gut. You want to stretch the field horizontally and then cut up field, and that's what the outside, run, uh, the outside zone run scheme does. So, to me, it's just it's a really nice advantage for the 49ers with their run game and the Rams were a bottom half tackle rate, a broken tackle rate team too. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that means anything particular for the Rams offense side of things. Like I, to me, I would be just as happy to run with the Rams, maybe even a passing stack this week as I would a lot of weeks. Um, but I don't know if you feel that way at all too. Yeah, go check the game rewind on this one too. So, I mean, Debo was going outside for sure, but Elijah Mitchell was running right up the gut. He was. He was running up the gut. And the Rams are a very poor tackling team. They are poor. I don't care what anybody tells you. The Rams' vaunted defense has great players. I'm not saying Donald and Von Miller are not great players, but they are, outside of those guys, a lot of poor tacklers. I think this game comes down to one word, really, pressure. Mm -hmm. Who is going to pressure the opposing quarterback? Jimmy G, when you give him time, is not as bad as we all pretend that he is. But if you don't (laughs) give him time, he's a train wreck. Same thing with Matthew Stafford. I mean, I know he does well against the Blitz, but when those guys are in his face and, and San Francisco was on him in that second half last game, so I worry about that. I will tell you this. I think that Mitchell is a huge part of this game, and I think that Debo Samuel has to be used more in the passing game as well as the running game for the 49ers to win. I'm going to circle back on that Debo Samuel point, a little DFS preview of what we're going to hit on there. But I want to talk more about the pressure angle of this with a major second storyline in my mind, which is whether this is a good or bad matchup for George Kittle. Kittle is such a fascinating tight end to me because, I mean, he's as talented as anybody, but he's such a good blocker that there seem to be certain matchups where he spends less time running routes than, say, a Travis Kelsey type who is just basically a big wide receiver, right? And you're trying to guess when the right matchups are, and I don't really know how the Rams stack up from that perspective. They did allow that they were the fourth best defense against tight ends by DVOA this season. And Kittle had pretty poor total numbers in the two games the season they played 50 yards and a touchdown the first time. I think that was week 10, then 10 yards uh, on five catches the second time. So, like, not a huge factor. 
But if you look back over the last three seasons, he had some huge games, 109 yards and a touchdown, 103, 79 in a score, 98 in a score, 149 in a score. So it's like this has really been the first year that he hasn't been just absolutely killing the Rams. And I don't know if that's luck, whether that's certain personnel considerations of the 49ers or what it is. So, like, what is your, your opinion of Kittle this week? Well, look, I think the 49ers are better um, offensively than they have been in a long time. Jawan Jennings has been a revelation. Brandon, oh, yeah. we've got Adam uh, Shea Bow Wow from Kyle Shanahan that he was in for the first month of the year. Uh, Debo Samuels in the first round fantasy draft pick for sure. So I think you're looking at Kittle. And this happens with tight ends in general, right? There are certain games where tight ends are, are more in the receiving game plan and somewhere you're blocking more. I think Kittle will be blocking more except in the red zone. And if you remember, uh, Max Williams scored two touchdowns against this Rams uh, defense early in the season. So it's not that the Rams won't let up touchdowns. And I think Kittle will be used in the red zone. But between those 20s, I think he's going to be used to keep Jimmy G upright. And I think Jennings has been a real big part of this offense. And Ayuk as well. Look at that last game they played against the Rams. They were dominant. Those guys were dominant in that offensive scheme. So I think Kittle now becomes like this 50 to 60 yard guy and no longer the 90 to 100 yard guy that he has been. Yeah, an interesting aspect of this to me is, is how healthy Trent Williams is going to be because he suffered an ankle injury last week. I think one of the major keys to, to their running game, I mean, obviously one of the best tackles, if not the best left tackle in football, he certainly paid like he's the best left tackle in football. And so like if suddenly the 49ers have a bit of a weakness on both tackle spots, that's where you have to figure that like Kittle is probably not going to be as free to run routes this week. But I don't know, like it seems like Williams is going to play. It's just hard for me to, to kind of decide whether I think he's going to be compromised at all by by the injury. Yeah, look, I mean, Williams is a fantastic player and they need him out there. I mean, whatever he can do out there is probably better than what the backup can do, right? 70% of Williams is better than 95% of most offensive linemen. Look, Kittle is a team player and that's what you love about George Kittle. Whatever it takes for them to win, he's willing to do. I, I'm convinced that if he went one for five then he and they won, he'd be ecstatic, which is the kind of guy that you want on your offense. So I'm not... I, my, I don't expect to have any Kittle in my lineup, to be quite honest with you, but that doesn't mean I don't think he could score. I think he's a better play on FanDuel than on DraftKings for sure. Excellent. So our model sees it the same way in that perspective. We have him as $700 overpriced on DraftKings, but correctly priced in FanDuel, so to speak. So like we see that similar split, but like as mentioned, since we don't have him underpriced anywhere, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be building any lineups around him, even though I might consider some like 49ers stacks because it's, it's more of like a game theory play right. which we'll, we'll get to but let's touch on the rams offense a little bit before we get to the, the specific dfs guys have you liked what you've seen from cam Akers since he returned a couple weeks ago again remarkable recovery from an achilles injury in less than six months it's ridiculous he's increased from a 20 percent snap share two weeks ago to 53 percent, and then 81 percent last week increased from eight touches to 18 to 27 and rendering Sony Michelle just a total afterthought last week with just three touches. So the workload has certainly been there, but I would say last week the efficiency wasn't. He averages 2.0 yards per attempt, and he fumbled twice against the Buccaneers. So what's the takeaway? Are you are you pleased with this? Are you you know what are your thoughts this game? Okay, it's to be expected that he wasn't going to run that well against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have one of the top run defenses in the NFL. Mm -hmm. What's not expected is the fumbling issues that he had at the end of the game there. I mean, yeah. the Rams should have won that game by. Uh, 30 points. And if they had lost that game, right, all of a sudden it would have been Tom Brady's comeback. I don't know if it was Tom Brady's comeback as much as it, was a, it would be a Rams choke right at <laughs> yeah. the end of the game. So let's call it what it was. Cam Akers 
shockingly to me, has come back looking spry, healthy, and like a second-round pick in fantasy. But, dude, you got to hold on to the football. So don't be shocked to see a little more Sony Michelle this week because now if it's the fourth quarter and the Rams are winning by, by seven, do you feel comfortable putting Cam Akers out there? I don't know if I do. So I think that's going to be a storyline that I'm watching very carefully. I mean, I think you're right. I think coaches in particular tend to hold fumbling against players. I don't know if I would say that the fact that Akers fumbled twice last week means anything about his likelihood to fumble this week. To me, it would almost be like, well, he might realize it's a problem and he might try to like really focus on not fumbling next week. But whatever the case, I definitely agree with you on the Bucks run defense angle. They were surprisingly not as good as you would think from a DVOA perspective over the full season. They were number 12 in run defense DVOA, but they had really marked splits between the first half and the second half of the season, being much better in the first half and losing linebacker Levante David for a stretch on IR in the second half. And to me, even though he isn't the fastest of their linebackers, to me, he is the, is the best piece of their run defense in that perspective. And I think with him back in the playoffs, they look like their old selves. They were number one in run defense DVOA last season. To me, they were about as tough of a matchup as you can be. The problem here is that the 49ers have the number two run defense DVOA on the season and number 16 DVOA pass defense. And so while they cut run plays for the season by 6%, like some of that's game script, but it's like you got to figure that the Rams are going to be airing it out as a way to, to kind of fight against this defensive you know, deficiency against the pass versus the run. So I'm not sure I love Akers in this spot anyway. And so if you're saying that, hey, there's some concerns that he may not be the, the bell cow back that you would expect because of fumbling problems, to me, like suddenly he's not exactly somebody I want to ride this week. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I think, look, let's call uh, as we move forward to Cooper Cup, right? Because I know yeah. that's going to come up in about 10 seconds. Yeah, talk about him now. Yeah, Cooper Cup to me is the MVP of the NFL, and I don't even think it's close. You take Cooper Cup off the Rams roster, how many games are the Rams winning this year? Five? Six? Maybe? And I'm being generous there? I mean, I this guy... they have Robert Woods or not? <laughs> right. As so impactful, and how good was he in the last game they played against the 49ers? You take Cooper Cup off the field, and look, it happened in the Super Bowl. I mean, Jared Goff, I mean, was a deer in the headlines in general, but without Cooper Cup, it was even worse. They couldn't get any offense. So I think this game, as you said, the 49ers run defense is very strong, and I don't think they're going to be able to have those huge plays like they're hoping for. And the 49ers pass rush has been surprisingly effective, especially without Buckner. You would think without DeForest Buckner, it would have been you dropped off considerably, but they've got a lot of pieces there, a lot of guys who can get to the quarterback. So, you know, the last game they played, Van Jefferson was okay. Beckham was not standout. Cup was the best player on the field. You know, look, if Cup is not the best player on the field this week, don't be shocked to see a 49ers upset because when I watch the game rewind, it made me think that the 49ers, you know, this is a 51-49 kind of game here, Scott. I mean, I, I think the 49ers might well win, but I still think that everybody in the Rams passing game is attractive to me in DFS. You mentioned Cup. He's a no-brainer. You can put him in your lineups every week. You can kind of build around him the way that you would have Derek Henry or somebody like that in the past. I think Odell Beckham has, has a pretty interesting matchup here. But I'll, I'll kind of filter this through the Matthew Stafford lens, who I think is $200 underpriced at 6300 in DraftKings. I mentioned the broader takeaway here that the 49ers have a better run defense than pass defense. But the 49ers were also the number 31 pass defense DVOA on deep passes. You know, they've had a lot of inju injuries at cornerback. Even with Emmanuel Mosley back, I would say that's the real weakness of their, of their team. And you mentioned if they try to blitz, that can be a way that Stafford can really hurt them going deep. He's had success doing that, and that's a weakness of their team. 
But if you look back at the regular season games, this seems like it's a bad matchup for the team because Stafford threw two picks in both of the games, had just 243 and 238 passing yards. But to me, there was an interesting split where in San Francisco, he threw one touchdown and at home in week 18, he threw three. And Stafford has averaged 1.1 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road in recent seasons. And Domes, generally speaking, increase completion rate, yards per attempt, and touchdowns per attempt for quarterbacks. And to me, it might really make a big difference that this game is in L.A. Again, it's not like there's heavy winter weather going on in Kansas City, but it, it just seems like it might be a real advantage for Stafford and a team that wants to throw the ball as much as they do. Just hear me out, okay? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl champion. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo has been in a Super Bowl. Okay. Joe Burrow, national champion, played on the largest stage in college. Sure. Have we seen Matthew Stafford in this moment? No. Well, I mean, that what doesn't about mean he can't last do week it? when he I'm played not, really well against the Buccaneers? I'm not saying that he can't do it. I'm not. And look, I, Matthew Stafford was my quarterback in literally half my leagues in fantasy this year. He was my guy when he came over. I'm saying, is this moment going to be too big for Matthew Stafford? I don't know if we know the answer to that question. I know this. I know that Stafford forces the football a lot. He forces the ball into traffic a lot. And, and I worry about that. I think the 49ers are a very well-coached team, both offensively and defensively with D'Amico Ryans. So I think they're going to bait him into making certain plays. Now, that being said, he's got arm angles just like Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's the closest thing to Mahomes in that respect. And he's got a gun. I mean, he can literally throw it 60 yards down the field. So the question is, will he be taking the smart chances or will he be the gunslinger? If you get gunslinger Matt Stafford, I'm a little worried in this game. I think you could see two touchdown passes, but you could see two interceptions as well. To me, like all of this honestly makes Stafford more attractive to me from a DFS perspective, because I think there are a lot of players like Jamar Chase being a great example, that I think their prices in DFS are a bit inflated based on a narrative that I'm not sure is totally predictive. And to me, that's kind of the case with Stafford here, where it's like, yeah, he hasn't been in this spot before, but like, does that really influence how many fantasy points he's going to produce this week? Even if he throws interceptions and suddenly the Rams are down and having to throw, is that bad for his overall fantasy prospects? I'm not sure. To me, like, there's a lot of things that I think are probably good drivers of consistent success, like being in the dome, playing a defense that's that's better against the run in the past, things like that that might help Stafford have fantasy success. Again, whether or not they can actually beat the 49ers, which I'm not sure they can. To me, like I think there's a lot of things pointing to his fantasy production being in a good spot this week. I, I don't disagree with you. I think if I were going to play this game, I, I would probably go the opposite direction, and I probably would use Jimmy G. Because nobody wants to play Jimmy G, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to touch this guy. So let me tell you something. This is a very hard week in DFS. I've had a very good year in DFS, one actually more weeks than I lost, and had a couple of GPP takedowns, right? But I'm telling you this. This is a week where you're going to have to have multiple lineups, right? Yes. Because you want to have at least, I don't know, 10 to 15 lineups because I want each team in different ways, right? But if I was only going to play a single entry and if you wanted a leverage stack, of course, I might go Jimmy G, get Debo and Ayuk and come back with Cup in that one. I might like that more. It's not that I don't like Stafford. I do like Stafford. But I think when I'm ranking the quarterbacks, Mahomes, I know what I'm getting. Burrow, I've seen what I could get. Stafford is that guy who could go up and down, but Garoppolo is going to be the lowest rostered by far. And maybe I could take an advantage there. I actually really like that play. And I think, again, it's another kind of prisoner of the moment of the narrative type situation where Garoppolo's done for less than 200 passing yards the last two weeks, hasn't done a passing touchdowns the last two weeks. 
maybe the thumb injury, maybe the shoulder injury have an influence there. But to me, the 49ers often show a pretty marked split based on how the game script unfolds for them. When they can keep things close, when they can build a lead, they're going to run the ball and run the ball a ton, right? But that isn't always the case. And in fact, the last time they played the Rams, they were down early in that game and Garoppolo threw for more than 300 passing yards. And seeing that kind of split means, yeah, if this guy's, if no one's going to rely on him in DFS, suddenly that's like a really attractive kind of game theory counter move. Right. The, the trouble is he's a lot harder to stack. So like I landed on Debo Samuel as being a, a potential interesting player. He's 7,200 in, in DraftKings. And you kind of like him because it doesn't really matter if the if the 49ers go run heavy or a little bit more pass heavy than usual because he runs and pass and, and receives the ball, right? right? Also interesting that he only saw Jalen Ramsey in coverage on three is 11 targets uh, this season against the team. And Ramsey was covering Brandon Ayuk and Juwan Jennings about as often too. So it's like, it's not... Debo is not like a, a normal number one receiver that you can just kind of line up against the way that you traditionally would. They move him around. They get him in the backfield. It's all about the yards after the catch. It's kind of a weird situation. But if you wanted to stack Garoppolo with players, who do you go with? Like, I think we mentioned that Kittle isn't the best value necessarily, and it's hard to know what they're going to do. Right. I think, I, for example, once in, I'll go back to the three lineups, which I usually play, right? Yeah. I would go Garoppolo, Debo, Mitchell, Garoppolo, Debo, Ayuk, Garoppolo, Debo, Jennings, right? I yeah. think you just play teams like that. And then I'm coming back with Cup in each of those rosters. And then maybe if I really wanted to double stack that game, I could come back with Higby as well, or something to that effect. Yeah. And then I take a look at some correlation plays on the other side where I'm getting Higgins and let's say Edwards, Elaire, Higgins and McKinnon. And I, and I base my lineup that way. Look, you're going in DFS. So this one, I won, uh, had one took down a GPP earlier this season. It was the Dallas New England game yeah. where I went with, you know, the Dallas stack and came back with Jacoby Myers. You have to go in with a double stack because that's the way you win. Because if the game explodes, you have a better chance in your competition. The single stack is harder to win. I'm not saying that you can't, but now you need to, as we say, hit the nuts, right? You got to get them all right. Whereas in the double stack, if the game blows up, better chance of being my rich friend. I, I think that's really great advice. And I think that's that's some good stuff you can probably find over on drroto.com. But I'd love to hear more about what's going on on your site and anything else you want to promote. No, I appreciate that. You absolutely can find that at drroto.com. Uh, we've got a new package that just came out for a limited time. It's our seasonal only package where we're giving all the 2022 NFL and MLB seasonal information literally for $49.99. Why? Because we want you to be a winner in your leagues. We also have a DFS all-access package, $29.99. I've got guys who are great. Chris Emmerich, one of the best League of Legends guys. My hockey guys, my golf guys, basketball. We just love what we do, and we love the community that, we, that we've built at the site. So please come check it out. Yeah, highly encourage everybody to head to drroto.com. That's D-R-R-O-T-O.com, right? That's right. Okay, check that out. From the FO perspective, again, FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week right now. So check that out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. I think this will probably be the last fantasy preview show of our season. So it's been cool to have, have everybody that stuck around and listen to all that. But Football Outsiders is going to continue to have a ton of preview content heading into the Super Bowl over the next couple of weeks. So head here most days, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Check that out. Have everybody have a great time watching these these Sunday playoff games, these conference championship games. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And then head back and, and listen to, to what we have for you next week. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week.